This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Happy nominations morning. Welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I am Katie Rich. I'm here. It's Oscar nominations morning. I'm very excited and jumpy. I'm here with Richard Lawson. Hello. With David Canfield. Hello. And Rebecca Ford. Good morning. Uh, This is the quickest turnaround episode we do all year, basically, because Oscar nominations are out. Richard, you are still at Sundance, so you've got all of next year's obvious winners, uh, fresh of mind, and you're recording from, I don't know, the bathroom of your Airbnb or something like that. So thank you for (laughs) I'm actually in the snow. I'm Jack Nicholson at the end of The Shining. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Rebecca, you had the earliest wake-up call of all of us because you went to the Academy for the nominations announcement. The first time they've done it uh, live in front of people in a couple years. Um, So we'll get into all the nominees. But first, Rebecca, just tell us what it was like to be in the room it looked it sounded really fun to be there in person it was really fun I was super grumpy about being up that early but the minute <laughs> I got in the room you just realize it's like all the Oscar it's it's a mix of like publicists award strategists press a lot of academy members seem to just enjoy going for some reason and <laughs> it's like so many Oscar nerds that every time there's a surprise even a slight surprise in a nomination the room is just full of like gasps or people like to quietly under their breath guess what the next announcement is going to be and you're just like these are my people i have missed you i have missed being around you it was just a really fun morning you know they do that every morning rebecca you could just go every morning (laughs) they whisper women talking women talking women talking Um, well, okay, so David, you set yourself up. I feel like we should start with the best picture. We all wrote our predictions last week. We did pretty well. I was like looking at our predictions list as I was writing up the nominations list, and there were some like, uh, not to brag, but best supporting actress I predicted got 100% correct. Um, we were wrong on best picture, but I think happily wrong, as you were suggesting, David. Uh, women talking made of the cut in the end. We were really worried about it. Um, what else did you take away from best picture? Um, that the Academy is not. A huge fan of commercial choices. Um, (laughs) No, I I think that for a lot of people, the whale showing up as it did with guilds and BAFTA, including me, indicated that it was a really strong player for Best Picture. Um, But I'm now calling this the being the Ricardos of 2023. Um, Wow. In in the case that it's a movie that was smaller, um, so it's showing up at the guilds was notable, but it's a little middle brow for how this group has leaned lately, uh, and unlike Women Talking. So I think that was one big takeaway, and as also Triangle of Sadness. I don't even know where it ranks on the brow scale. <laughs> it's kind of all three, um, <laughs> but it has that European sensibility. It definitely appealed to that branch. It's a movie Rebecca and I had been talking about 
for a couple months now, just based on conversations we'd been having with voters. And it, that clearly showed up in a big way uh, with directing and writing nominations. And then on the other end of the scale, I just think everything everywhere all at once is the front runner. <laughs> it yeah. did incredibly well. And it has so much passion behind it. A pretty unbeatable combo, I think. So that's how I saw it broadly. Uh, and I'm just personally very thrilled for Women Talking. I think it deserved to be in that 10. It's a huge relief that they nominated at least one movie uh, directed by a woman. Yeah. And yeah, it's also another reminder that the actors branch is really important because it got that SAG ensemble nomination, which clearly carried it through. Um, well, speaking of the actors branch, should we talk about Andrea Riseborough again? Uh, when we, <laughs> well, <laughs> now the world knows uh, that to Leslie is a small film with a huge heart. We talked about it last week. We talked about this kind of uh, actress-led campaign on social media, and it paid off. Rebecca, where did where did Andrea Riseborough rank on the gasp scale in the room? The biggest, the biggest gasp of the day <laughs> by far. I, I was probably eighty percent of it, but it was definitely uh, a shock. I wish I had a picture of your face when it happened. It worked. I and this, as I said, I think last week, I really think will change how people campaign in the future, mm. and there will be much more of a demand for this type of, um, you know, last minute blitz sort of campaign because it totally worked. And I think that um, that actress group in general had a lot of surprises. I don't think we all thought Anna de Armas was going to make it. I mean, I had to predict this category, and I I got three out of five, which is not great, but. I mean, I did not think Andrea was going to make it in, and, and it's just completely different than anything we've seen in a long time. I was texting about it with a friend, and uh, while in a vacuum, the Riceboro thing is fun and exciting because it's like, who could have seen that coming even two weeks ago, three weeks ago? It's unfortunate that it comes at the expense of Daniel Deadweiler or Viola Davis, as does Anna D'Armas' yeah. nomination. You know, like, it's just, from a distance, it looks like the Academy just picked a kind of random white performance in favor of these other two, you know, black women who did these incredible work that that, that has been talked about for months, you know, and I know that's not actually how it broke down, but I I wish that they could have expanded to six or seven even. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think there's gonna be a lot of talk about it for in the weeks to come. And you're right that it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It's not someone being like, well, I am going to kick out Viola Davis. It's a, it's the accumulation of hundreds of ballots. Um, But I think in the two Leslie campaigning, someone, and I thought it was Francis Fisher, who was the big campaigner, but I couldn't find it. But, you know, it only took about 200 people to put Andrew Riseborough on their ballots to make it happen. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a small number to shift in this huge way. But the fact that the end result is that The Woman King and Till, two uh, films directed by black women, got completely left out of the nominations. With The Woman King, especially with its crafts, um, that was just a huge disappointment. Yeah. And I think the other thing to keep in mind here is that... The argument for Riseborough and why this was a great thing was this is a movie that had no backing, that had uh, no campaign infrastructure, and thus basically had a five-day window <laughs> to pull this off. And um, you look at the movies of you know Till and The Woman King, they had bigger budgets, they had bigger campaigns, but these are also movies that took so long to get made and had their own incredibly difficult journeys to the screen and had their own incredible significance for Hollywood that it just feels weird to me to sort of have put that on a pedestal versus these other two films and these two performances. Um, I was obviously a huge backer of Deadweiler, and I'm pretty heartbroken that she didn't make the cut. She Um, will be an Oscar nominee someday. I'm just so confident in this. Absolutely. It it should have been this year, but it will happen. 
Yeah, and I think it's just worth examining without <laughs> saying anything too sensitive, you know, who Hollywood puts its weight behind at those pivotal moments, because mm-hmm. I, I do think it's it's notable, let's say. Well, because yeah. Till was also a small movie, you know, yeah. and, and it was an indie un- qualifier. Yeah. Unfortunately, its director isn't married to a Hollywood person who and the director hasn't done a ton of TV work and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, again, I, these things do sort of happen not necessarily in relation to one another. It's not like someone's choosing one person over another in some sort of like, you know, drop down menu, you know, but um, it just, yeah, it feels, it feels unfortunate that this exciting Riceboro thing, which we'd be happy about in any year. Um, I think I am happy about in the kind of aggregate. No, I am. But like, just that it, co- it seems to come at the expense. I mean, where we should really be blaming is blonde. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know. I feel like I'm going to be a weird outlier on Blonde because, like, I think she's good in that movie. I don't like the movie, but I'm I'm happy for her. But well, again, exactly, she's not bad in it, you know. And she's she's it's a it's a very committed high wire performance, which is exact. That's 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 classic Academy fair, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not weird that she got nominated, even though that movie was pretty poorly received. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's a strange year where I think it's just a testament to how many viable candidates there were in the in Best Actress because it was just yep. a great year for actresses. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Um, well, we can pivot to Best Actor, where um, we went five for five in our predictions, I think. Um, all first-time nominees. That's wow. really exciting. There's 16 first-time acting nominees this year, which is crazy. I, I, so um, on Thursday's episode, uh, our friend Joe Reed's going to come and crunch some of these numbers with us. But it's the first time in at least 50 years that there's been that many first-time nominees. I mean, nothing hugely surprising in there in Best Actor. Anyone that we want to um, mention one last time that we're sad got left out? It's no. kind of the opposite problem, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think we all f- felt really good about Paul Mescal making it in in the end because Adam Sandler, while you know, gives a wonderful performance in Hustle, was a kind of isolated SAG nominee that would make way for a smaller, more critically backed contender, which Mescal was the obvious choice there. I mean, yeah. people like Hugh Jackman fell off quite quickly um, and... Not to say I'm not happy with this five. I think a lot of these performances are really wonderful, but I would have been fine with six actresses and four actors this year, <laughs> to be honest. That's an argument for the, you know, 
uh, one category for both genders. Yes, it is. Oh, man. Um, well, that should bring us to the supporting categories where there was a really huge representation milestone of just this record number of Asian and Asian American actors in those categories, um, led, of course, by everything everywhere all at once. Um, Rebecca, you talked to Stephanie Hsu this morning. Um, you had really been rooting for her. Uh, she got the nomination alongside Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, how was that phone call? Uh, it was great. She was on a flight from Australia when they were being announced. So she had just landed and like found out from the like insane amount of text message she, she got. Um, <laughs> but I guess the rest of the cast had been on a Zoom watching sort of together. Well, that's um, cute. But, I, you know, she talked a lot. I mean, we talked obviously about the fact that this is the most acting nominations for people of Asian descent. And but the fact remains that one woman of color has ever won Best Lead Actress. Only two Asian women have ever won Actress in a Supporting Role. So there are still these barriers that exist. Um, but I do think this is a really, you know, it's an exciting moment to celebrate this and, and a testament to everything everywhere because it allowed for so many of these performances to stand out. Yeah, 11 nominations total, I think, for that. As much as I have been uh, negative on the whale since... <laughs> Labor Day. Um, um, Hong Chao is really good in it. And, so good. And, and she's also really good in pretty much everything she does. And I think that's a really exciting nomination, not just for the work in that movie, but I think for overlooked work in downsizing, you know, uh, which uh-huh. she unfortunately got rolled up in some sort of negative thing about that movie um, and didn't deserve to be. And so it just, just this, her nomination feels like the, at least, you know, the Academy members, as much as they re- represent the industry as a whole, saying, we see you, you're great, like, sorry about the <laughs> few years ago, you know, um, and I think that's that's a good vote of confidence in a performer who's consistently one of the most interesting uh, people in the business. And we should note that, you know, Angela Bassett becomes the first actor in a Marvel movie to be nominated as an individual. So that's also a huge um, milestone today. So that category is just full of great news for everybody, really. It's yeah. a great lineup. I love mm-hmm. the supporting actress category and the supporting uh, actor, too. I mean, we should talk about Brian Tyree Henry, who uh, came on the show. He's really wonderful in Causeway. He was someone who, like I just said about Daniel D- Deadweiler, it just kind of felt like when, not if, he would get an Oscar nomination. And he seems so on the bubble for Causeway. Um, but speaking of small movies that really deserve some support, I'm really happy to see him make it in there. It was my interview that pushed him over the line, right? Oh, yeah, the little gold man. <laughs> yeah. Bumps, it's always famous. little gold man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was, I was probably more surprised by that one than Riseboro, to be honest. Um, yeah. And it's, it's such a wonderful surprise. He absolutely deserved to be in that five. And he really, you know, he campaigned for it. He, he, he did push for that nomination, and I'm, I'm glad he did. It probably would not have happened without that kind of concerted effort. The other notable thing in this category was um, Judd Hirsch essentially swapping with Paul Dano, um, which I will now give myself credit. I did predict that one. <laughs> but the reason I predicted it is because I, I wondered whether The Fablemans was strong enough to carry two acting nominations in one category, as we kind of knew Banshees and Everything Everywhere were. And it, it wasn't. Um, it also missed in cinematography and editing, where it was expected to get in. Um, so even though it fared, you know, Perfectly respectably, Michelle Williams did make the cut. Spielberg is in for director. And screenplay um, got seven nominations total. Yes, and West Side Story did not get screenplay last year, let us not forget. So, if anything, an improvement. Um, but still, just there was that slight resistance to it um, that I, I don't fully understand. But it, it did 
I think, bear out most clearly in this category where Judd Hirsch was such an obvious sort of Academy lift. Um, I have been using the verb Katrina Balfe, and Paul Dano did get Katrina Balfe. <laughs> I'm bummed for Paul Dano. I don't know how Paul Dano himself feels, but it just felt like such a um, a worthy He's nomination. Really overdue. Although I did see someone tweet that like that's the most Burt Fableman thing to do is not get the nomination <laughs> at the very end. <laughs> so he's still in character in some way. Um, to talk much more broadly while we're talking about the Fablemans, I feel like this nomination tally bears out our sense for a while that everything, everywhere, all at once, and Banshees of Sharon are still kind of the like strongest pe- best picture contender. Uh, all Quiet on the Western Front did get nine nominations more than the Fableman. Um, did the kind of the balance of power among all these movies shift in any way with all these nominations? I think there's definitely a stall that we've been sort of seeing with the Fablemans. I think we all came in, you know, a couple months ago thinking that was going to be a very clear front runner, and and it it definitely feels like it's slowed. I mean, you know, a few days ago we were all talking about All Quiet on the Western Front and can it really get this many nominations? Are we all insane? And it really pulled that off. I mean, it's definitely a, a huge win for Netflix, but yeah, to me it feels like the Fablemans is is definitely slowing and. And you're right, it's banshees and everything everywhere. You mentioned All Quiet, Rebecca, and I think that it did obviously well, but I thought I was surprised it didn't show up in director, you know? Or editing. Mm-hmm. Editing was a yeah. surprising one for sure, too. Yeah. But then it's like, how many can it get? <laughs> right. It did get nine, and it, but I also was surprised. And that speaks to the bizarre place that this movie held in this conversation where it was not a Top Gun Maverick or Avatar, you know, in terms of craft visibility in terms of the way it was talked about all season, but it just hummed along in these, with this very obviously worthy, these very obviously worthy attributes um, and enough of them carried through. I do think between that movie and Andrea Riseborough, a real flipping of the conventional wisdom of campaigning this in these nominations. Like this was, I, I remember hearing around Netflix that they had four contenders they were really set to push. Uh, and it was Glass Onion, Bardo, White Noise, and Pinocchio. And there's this movie that got nine nominations, and those combined got three. And that's a huge... And that could have happened to any of these studios or streamers. I mean, that's just not something that you would expect for a German war film that was, I think for many, including myself, a pretty difficult set, uh, even though it has um, a lot of really admirable qualities. So I, I do wonder how some of these... Studios are going to go into next season with, you know, movies like The Woman King who were pushed so hard all season. I just came up in that case completely short. Yeah. I also feel like this lineup is just such strong evidence of how global the Academy membership has become. I mean, you look how well Triangle of Sadness did and uh, All Quiet. and, And it's just it's clear that the Academy makeup has become so much more international and that I, I assume awards reps are going to pay much more attention to that. But this feels like the first year where the evidence is so strong for that. I would love to figure out the theory of what put Ruben Oslin over the top um, in directing as opposed to Edward Berger. That just, you know, I think we'd gone back and forth. He very much seemed like a real contender. I don't know how frequently anyone was predicting Triangle of Sadness and Best Picture in particular. But, you know, we know that the director's branch is international, that they're a little bit more highbrow. But I just I don't know that I can totally figure out what they like with with that switch at the end. One thing I think to keep in mind is they tend to recognize people who are not necessarily overdue, but um, pretty long respected in the global mm-hmm. cinema scene. Yeah. Um, 
Hamaguchi last year was kind of an anomaly just because Drive My Car was such an anomaly. Um, but if you look at Paul Pawlikowski for Cold War um, or Thomas Vinterberg for another round, like these are directors who have been around. Um, and Ruben Ostlund- Or Bong Joon-ho for that matter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, Ruben Ostlund has won can twice. <laughs> He's had movies that have found an audience here in the U.S., even as they weren't in English. Um, and because this movie clearly connected- with this particular group of voters, it it does, in retrospect, make a lot of sense to me. There's also a kind of sweet little side story with his nomination in that when he really thought he was going to get an international feature nomination for Force Majeure and then didn't, he had cameras in the room with him when he didn't get nominated. Yeah. Oh, he did the Spielberg thing for Jaws. And <laughs> he, like, ma- <laughs> he made like a short film about not being nominated, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> so like he really cared about it. Like uh, Ruben Oslin, for all of his, you know, operatic cynicism, let's say, uh, does care about this stuff. And so there must be a sense of, of vindication somewhere in, in Sweden right now. And I do want to point out the Daniels are only the fifth directing pair to ever be nominated in this category. So that was sort of a... A hurdle we we maybe didn't acknowledge, but uh, they are they did. the last ones since the Coens? I have to imagine. Yeah, gotta be. So I, I think we would all agree when talking about Top Gun Maverick, the biggest thing we talk about is its screenplay, right? <laughs> <laughs> and not its cinematography. Where the hell did that come from? <laughs> screenplay. It showed up at W. It showed up somewhere else. Was it WGA that it showed up? Scripters, the scripters. The scripter, yeah, because, oh, yeah, that was so crazy because the scripters are for ad- adapting from a published work and Top Gun, the movie, was based on a magazine article, which <laughs> yes, I never yes. knew. <laughs> I loved that entry. I was, <laughs> I was smiling. I I, I like that screenplay. I, that's another nomination I feel fine about. Although someone tell me what it kicked out that I'm going to be mad about um, instead. It kicked out the whale, which, I mean, the, to go back to my being the Ricardos analogy, everyone thought Aaron Sorkin was going to get in for that, and he didn't. Yeah. Um, and this is another example of the movie showed up everywhere in screenplay. It was this very talky stage adaptation. But honestly, this is going to sound very basic, but with this group of voters, particularly the writing and branch and the best picture category, looking at like Metacritic scores can be very useful <laughs> because mm. if a movie has met enough critical resistance, like a Babylon um, also, which underperformed as we expected, um, it's just really hard to break through. Um, and that was something I missed with The Whale. I did think it would get into screenplay um, and picture, actually. Um, but it just was not particularly well received in that department. And that is more in line with how a global body is going to vote. I do hope this clears the path for Sarah Polly to win for Women Talking, which is, I think so. I sort of feels. I mean, we've been saying that for months and months, and that movie's fates have kind of ebbed and flowed. But um, just looking at that lineup, like, just let's let's give her that Oscar, please. It's either her or Ishiguro, right? I mean, it doesn't feel like Glass Onion has the strength after missing Best Picture. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was glad to see it make it in for screenplay. I think it's a very worthy spot for it. But um, you know, again, talking about Netflix. Although credit to Netflix for that Bardo cinematography nomination. It's a beautifully shot movie. Darius Kanji is great at what he does, so I can't argue with that. We can talk about the original song category. Uh, Rebecca, I love what you wrote on our predictions that you had counted out Diane Warren last year and you wouldn't make that mistake. And here we go. Here's Diane Warren. In first Chris. mention. I know. The minute it came up, I was like, oh, thank God, of course. Like, I felt very mixed emotions by that situation. Um, but I feel like there were a couple 
surprises, Katie? You're the expert in this field. What, well, what I mean, really think? intrigued by the um, This is a Life from Everything Everywhere All at Once, which has been around, um, but I don't, you know, it's a pretty low-key song. I don't think the music from that movie was anything that anyone, like, talked the most about, but it got a score nomination and for song, um, which is a song I like a lot, and it's David Byrne and Mitski, two very, like, cool people to get to have at the Oscars and perform on stage. Um, I think it's indication of how much every branch loved Everything Everywhere more than anything, right? Yeah, it just feels like an overall vote for that movie in this category. So I think this is a fun um, stat that I saw. This is the first year that Diane Warren's been nominated for a song whose title is the same uh, name of another song from another nominated songwriter. So her song is called Applause. And Lady oh. Gaga has a song called Applause. <laughs> I, I, was like, oh I was like, where is this going? <laughs> I, sorry, I, it's, I'm in the mountains. I don't know what I'm talking I was, about. I was that, I was that meme. Yeah. The, the lines. And yeah. The <laughs> anyway, I've never heard of this Diane Warren song. I assume it's not Lady Gaga's Applause. It's not. It's, but <laughs> No, it's not a bad song. I um, I did a, wrote a thing about it and uh, embedded the song of it. At, uh, one of us needs to watch Tell It Like a Woman, I guess. What can is we that? just listen to the song? I think we yeah. can just listen to the song. <laughs> yeah, in the credits. Not to dismiss, tell it like a woman. Uh, yeah, I have less catch-up to do this year than than most other years before, which I'm just very personally proud of. Um, you know, all the shorts, obviously, I'll watch and we'll talk about those. But, um, you know, credit to us for talking about the titles we needed to get into, I guess. Um, can I also say, uh, switching to another below-the-line category, Empire of Light is on the nominees list which I'm very excited about Roger Deakins um, and also like really well-deserved, like whatever people think about that movie. Like I know there are, I've seen even a couple negative tweets about the cinematography in that movie, but it's gorgeous to look at. And, you know, Deakins is obviously a stalwart and, you know, he doesn't, he has one Oscar. I think finally he won for like Blade Runner or something, but like, you know, I don't think he'll win there certainly, but like, although he could looking at the nominees. I don't um, know who wins cinematography, honestly. Probably I, my guess would be all quiet because it is, I mean, to say that it's beautiful is weird because it's a movie about the horror of war. But I think that's a problem with a lot of war movies. But um, it's impressive, let's say. And I I don't know. I think that's where All Quiet could win. Haven't zero women women won in this category? I know Mandy Walker's the third. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So talk about that, Rebecca. Yeah. I mean, Mandy Walker, who did Elvis, is the third woman to ever be nominated. But... A woman has never won this category. I think it's like the final frontier when you come to when we come to gender representation on these awards. So um, think about it, people. That's Andy an interesting Walker. campaign. Elvis is beautifully shot. They 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 love that movie. Um, Catherine Martin is back, double nominated for production design and costume again. And um, the last times she's been nominated in both, she has won both. So Elvis might be uh, racking up some serious yeah. wins here. She's also a producer, right? So she's also in picture. I think. Wow, good for you, Catherine Martin. <laughs> I did not realize that. I also think that in terms of cinematography and editing, Tar showing up in both of those mm-hmm. is interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, and well deserved because that movie is not only a towering performance and an incredible bit of writing, but like, you know, it's made so kind of couture, you know, and 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 that's really in the cinematography and the editing. So that that the the Academy nom- uh, noticed that. I think even though Tar is technically an American film, also speaks to the kind of international voting body where like a movie like that gets recognized um, beyond just the obvious things. Reminds me a lot of Power of the Dog overperforming Below the Line last year. Just the the Uh critical darling. Well, yeah, I mean, the critical darling that may be a little bit polarizing, but that has this undeniable thought uh, and, and 
carefulness put into it and that just comes out so beautifully and deliberately. So I, I don't know that it will win any of those categories, um, in, <laughs> as was the case for Power of the Dog. Um, but I do think it's a, a signal of, of the amount of respect for it. Yeah, I wonder if it's like Power of the Dog, where Jane Campion was like the anointed winner uh, and Kate Blanchett plays that role this time. Um, although I was going to say that I feel like if everything everywhere, it seems like the runaway Best Picture favorite right now, which I think we'd all agree on. Doesn't that leave Best Actress as like this fascinating showdown mm -hmm. between Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh? And Andrea Riseborough. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> uh, but yes, I agree. A friend texted me this morning and said, I feel like now that she got the nomination, Riceboro is just going to win. <laughs> but I don't know if that's really true. But um, There's a lot more people who vote on that than the actors branch. That feels pretty difficult to pull off. Can I jump way down the line and mention a smaller category? Please. Um, Katie, you, you might know, in Best Animated Short, Pamela Ribbon, or Ribbon, is she the first Television Without Pity recapper to get nominated for an Oscar? <laughs> Absolutely never the last, though. I mean, it's all no. they're just going to start going down the line. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, no, she's such a, an inspirational story for all of us who've just been like churning out <laughs> blog content. Content, yeah. Lives. Yeah. She, she, you know, she wrote the great screenplay for um, the Wreck It Ralph sequel, and um, her, her short is called My Year of Dicks, which is about uh, a teenage girl trying to figure out who to lose her virginity to. Apparently, I haven't seen it. We will watch all of these shorts, obviously, for a podcast episode. But I just think that's such an interesting, like, earlier internet. Uh, writer conversion to now uh, Oscar-nominated writer. Yeah, the that moment of the, and someone um, posted a video of this, of Rizamed saying my year of dicks and then leading into an ostrich told me the world is fake and I think I believe it. Like, the joy in the room was so <laughs> palpable. I mean, Rebecca, I, you guys must have been having a blast. Oh my God, it was so fun. And he was the perfect person to do that, I feel like. that, <laughs> that mo We've all been waiting for that moment for years. So. No, it was he, really fun in the room. He and, and Allison Williams were a great pair, honestly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I would watch them do this every year. Uh, well, they cults. didn't mispronounce like a single name, did they? I oh, mean, yeah. And Allison Williams is a German name. She like really went for the German pronunciation. I was very impressed. So they they did their homework for sure. I caught Keoghan too. They got that <laughs> one. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> if we learn nothing else from this award season, it'll be how to pronounce Barry Keoghan's name. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork. And this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. We'll have plenty more time to talk about all of this. But for now, in our kind of haze post-nominations, um, anyone want to make any bold predictions in, in any of these categories? Anything that you feel has shifted based on the nominees? Should we start with Ki Hui Kwan and just predict him to win? Because he's <laughs> yeah, like the, the biggest lock of the season. Be nice to be right. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm also on the on the train of like, I think Bassett has it at this point um, mm -hmm. for Probably, a variety yeah. of reasons. And, um, and you know, I, there was some internet chatter last week when she won the Critics' Choice or something where that was like, I can't believe that Bassett's legacy is forever going to be tied to, like, a Marvel movie. Oh, that come that's on. What, that, that's what, and it's like, look, 
when people talk about Al Pacino, do they talk about Scent of a Woman? No, but that's what he won an Oscar for. You know, like legacy wins are, are a thing for, you know, Denzel Washington winning Best Actor for Training Day, a great performance, but not like one of his, you know, all-star turns, you know. Renee Zellweger winning for Judy. Yeah. No, she didn't win. No. no. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You predicted that win, Richard. You take credit for that one. I did. That's true. But no, but I think that like in Bassett's case, it's like, yeah, like she's good in that movie. She's good in everything. But like that, that award, if she wins, which I think she will, is more like she's been around forever. She's great. Like, and I think I'm, I'm okay with that kind of um, legacy win. I also think it's a testament, like the Marvel movies have made a lot of effort to get really great actors in, like Robert Redford's been in a bunch of Marvel movies, like Michael Douglas. You know, not all of them have given awards worthy work, but I think like they have they have worked hard to get these actors in there. I think she is should be a worthy winner for that and for her career and every other aspect of it. I think you said this a few weeks ago, Katie, but Ryan Coogler is also a great director of actors. Yeah. And he really upped the game for Marvel in terms of ensemble performance with these two movies. So that also feels like a valid way to honor that. I mean, the movie did not get into picture or anywhere else above the line, um, but that's a really fitting place for it to win something significant. And for that part of his um, work, and which has been pretty groundbreaking on these movies, to be recognized. So then that brings us to the two-way race in Best Actress, which we just talked about. And I think the same three-way race in Best yeah. Actor. Um, you know, Brendan Fraser and might be in a slightly weakened position because The Whale isn't a Best Picture nominee. And uh, Austin Butler and Colin Farrell are. But I, I would say it's anyone's race. Just going to keep this analogy going. He might be the Nicole Kidman. and uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, Which one of us had predicted her? Richard, that was you who went all in on Nicole Richard. Kidman. Oh, yeah. Infamously. Right? In a series of late-night tests. Yes, to Rebecca and David. Um, but I'm curious, Rebecca and David, you know, you guys are, are are closer to the tea leaves. Like, from my perspective, I feel like Butler is ahead of the other two at the moment. Do you, do you guys agree? I've been going back and forth about Colin Farrell because obviously that movie is so loved. And I just wonder if there's going to be more of it's sort of a legacy award because he has done such good work and had such an interesting career that I wonder if the larger voting body wants to give it to him. But, you know, if they're going for sort of ingenue awards, then I could see Austin. I don't know. I go back and forth. I do think it's between those two. I'm a little cooler on Brendan Fraser still winning, um, especially seeing how the whale didn't perform. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, to me, it almost feels like a two man race, but there's still a lot of time to go. And and I know Brendan Fraser's getting a couple honors and things. So things can shift very quickly in this phase too. I could flip a Three-sided coin. I don't <laughs> I, I honestly, I, I struggle to, at this point, based on these nominations, put one ahead of the other. Because they all have very clear strengths and pretty clear weaknesses, at least in terms of who the Academy usually goes for in this race. It's the same stuff we've been talking about. It's just that no one's, I think, clearly pulled ahead. BAFTA will probably be pretty major in determining at least whether Colin Farrell can make it all the way. Yeah, because you figure if he wins, BAFTA, he's still in it. If he doesn't, he's out. Yeah, I think that's his, you know, sort of last stand. And Brendan Fraser's is probably SAG. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. It's it's a tight, tight race. Um, I also think original screenplay is really close, actually, between Banshees and Everything Everywhere, mm-hmm. just given how well Everything Everywhere did. So it feels like a lot is quite open, which is exciting. 
Yeah, I want to throw out a not not totally bold prediction, but I feel solid in this. I think Steven Spielberg's just going to win Best Director. Like, I look at that list, and I know that the Daniels um, are a really strong threat here, but this is their second feature, and they're so new compared to so much else that, um, I don't know, I just want to make that prediction, and we'll see if DGA proves me wrong. But despite the Fablemans overperforming, I feel like this is just a place for Spielberg to take it. I think so. Oh, good. Okay, I'm not totally out on a limb. <laughs> That does it for today's episode. So we're changing things up on Thursday. We'll all be back talking again. Um, we'll have more interviews as the season goes on, of course. But on Thursday, we're going to have a dispatch from Sundance, which Richard has been at in person and the rest of us have experienced virtually. And I'll be checking in with our friend and Oscar and our Joe Reed. who will have some like fun stats and breaking down the numbers of all this to dive even deeper into the nominations. Um, and then next week, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming. In the meantime, find us at VanityFair.com. Find out all of our coverage of nominations morning. Find uh, Sundance coverage continuing onward. Um, we're on Twitter at HWD and on our own. I am at Katie Rich and Richard. Rylaws. And Rebecca. Rebecca M. Ford. And David. David Canfield, 97. Our editor and producer is Brett Fuchs. And this week's award for what everyone will be saying about Little Goldman in 2023, if we have our way, goes to David Canfield. It has that European sensibility. The Run for Revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowicz. Um, who should be the mayor of New York? We all support yeah, that. We support that. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Nikki. Yes. It's been really great she being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asha, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K and a winter OK. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.